And when you do that, you understand how and who you have become. Well, then it's easier to accept and see how your other family members have become. So much empathy. And with that empathy comes love and respect for them. I'm Greg Runny. And I'm Rob Reeford. And this is Mind Body Matters. Welcome to our show. Rob, my co-host, is still away and won't be on this episode. Rob had a tragedy in his family a few weeks ago. And um, I talked to him yesterday, and he's he's doing okay considering the circumstances. And he's he's hanging in there, but we talked about what happened. And sadly, it fits in with the podcast in the way that this is a lot to do with uh, mental health. And I think that a lot of people would be able to relate to it, but I wasn't quite sure if he was comfortable in talking about it. I didn't want to put him in that position, but he did say that he was willing to come on the show in a little while and uh, talk about what happened, uh, how he has processed that tragedy and how he is uh, able to work on his recovery from it and uh, would like to do that simply to help the audience relate and hopefully help some families out there that are going through the same thing. So, often we interview experts, as you can probably tell from the uh, previous episodes, and we talk about issues of the mind and body, but we also interview regular people too about their personal journey of mental health or physical health and how they overcame them. And today is a good example of a personal experience. Dawn Jinks is in the studio. She was a family counselor many years ago and helped partners, families, understand what codependency is. Ha-ha, you know the word. But it's an overused word. It's confusing, and she's going to help us define it the best we can. And I'm sure you're going to be able to relate. And uh, if you do relate to the interview with Dawn, then maybe you can get some help regarding codependency. I'm interested to know more about what this is and uh, her take on it because she's experienced it herself. I hope you enjoy my chat with Dawn Jinks, our guest today on Mind Body Matters. Dawn, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm I'm doing great, and I, I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation because we had a conversation on the phone that went for hours and it was just so exciting and interesting because I looked at the topic of codependency through my lens as an addict in recovery and looking at how my family and how my wife went through recovery. So thank you so much for, for being on the show and, and, and sharing all this interesting information with us. My pleasure. So to start off, the podcast is about mind and body. So when we look at mind and body, and the connection between the two, how do you see that? Like, how would you define that? Uh, I would define it as um, a volcano. It, you know, a volcano can, uh, you know, gurgle a bit and make a little noise, but it doesn't mean it's going to explode. You know, and it settles back down again, and then it starts to gurgle a little bit. It could be a hundred years before it explodes or thousands of years. And, In the meantime, though, even though it's not exploding, and when it does, that's when we all pay attention. That's kind of when we all evacuate people. This is when um, the the fight or flight comes in. 
But as long as it's just kind of gurgling, it, it has a tendency to go up and down and up and down, which is kind of healthy. You know, you, you, you have a little gurgling of feelings, emotions. So you have some heartburn. You didn't sleep well last night. You know, you're a little edgy. But then it settles down. Um, you know, so the body doesn't have a huge effect because it heals itself during the time that there's no more gurgling. But when it starts to escalate and when it starts to get closer to the top of exploding, that's when physically the body will show signs. And whether that be, I now have sleep apnea, uh, whether it be, um, I'm depressed most of the time and trying to hide it, uh, which is all on the mental side, physically, the lack of sleep, the the taking time off work because you're not well. Um, people go to the doctor and they sound like hypochondriacs, but the doctors can't find anything wrong with them and they don't have an iron deficiency. And so the body starts to react, not respond. That's healthy, but react to what we're stuffing, what we're confused with, what we have no control over, what we're exhausted over. And so sometimes, which is amazing, is we seek medical, medical help for physical ailments. Anti-inflammatory illnesses are huge when it comes to the volcano erupting. Even though that would indicate something's going on with the mind, right? Totally. Even though the person isn't aware their mind has some issues going on, because they may not be, but the body's saying, yeah, we're, we're, we're struggling. The body talks to you, as they, as they say. Yeah, yeah. There's an awesome book out there um, that's just written on this topic, which I, I think is the time um, that, you know, some people may be interested in it for self or others. The book is actually um, The Body Keeps Score. Oh, I'm familiar. That's a great book. Yeah, but I don't know the author, so let them know the author. It's, it's Basil Van Derekhoff. He's an MD. So it is an excellent book to get so that you have an understanding how that body-mind does make a connection with you, others, your kids. It is for everybody. No, I agree. That's a, that's a great book. We're going to talk about codependency, and it's, it's one of those words that I believe there's a lot of misconceptions about. People may not know exactly what it means. You've worked with a lot of family members in the past in, in rehabs. Can you provide a little bit uh, of a background of where you're coming from regarding the topic? Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll start with my, my unawareness that this topic existed, either through language or even through personal experience which is I'm fine and everybody else has a problem. So that's, <laughs> that's kind of where I started. I don't know if you want me to start there. Um, sure, because I think a lot, a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah, so I, I started there. I came from a family that in order to get your needs met, behavior, likes, dislikes, education, what you laughed at, everything was told to us nicely or not. So I kind of left the home not being myself, whoever that was, I had no idea. Um, but I left the home being, I am like my mother, not knowingly, but I will never, ever, ever be like my father. And that I did knowingly. So 
I was not going to yell and scream and get all mad about stuff. So by the time I decided maybe I'm at an age to have some children, I thought about that. Somehow intuitively I knew I was lacking some skills and tools. So I kind of lied to myself and then verbally say it out loud and others believe me. They even engaged in the conversation when I said, maybe I would like to just have one child. I want to travel. I want to, you know, do things that are expensive and I can have this kind of life with just one. And people encouraged that. Well, I got pregnant and had twins. So my parenting gigs up. Twins, so that didn't work out no. for the whole thing of having one kid. I have no control now. <laughs> That's how I felt. How am I going to I be see. a good parent for two? Maybe I could fake it with one, but not two. So by the time my little guys were in, you know, the age of not missing me too much, they were about two and a half, I stumbled across a program in the States uh, for codependency. And there was a lot of information going around, um, different kind of resources where you could check yourself out and kind of see if it applied to you. I ticked all the boxes off. I was super excited. And so I went to treatment for 28 days in the States and left my children at home. What motivated you to go into program for codependency? Like, what did you recognize in yourself? Was it about your father or like, what was it that you you realize that you, you may have this? I, well, it was interesting. At the time, I didn't realize I did. I had a friend um, who had gone to the States for treatment for addiction. And she came back after 28 days and was all excited about, you know, what she learned about herself and addiction. Um, and she left behind some information about the, their family program. And this is where the the assessment she left behind was in this bundle of codependency. And I ticked off all the boxes and I was overjoyed that actually there was a place that I felt understood me like that. It was like mind blowing. My God, I'm normal. This is out there. There's (laughs) this is actually okay. That that was the, the incentive for me to go. And um, so I went for the 28 days and that's where did I learn about the word codependency? I have really no idea because it's so, there's so much in order to define that word, number Mm -hmm. one. And second of all is the only person that can say they're codependent is when the person who has it says, I'm drowning. My volcano is erupting. Just like the alcoholic, you can say he has a drinking problem, he needs treatment, but only he can decide and say whether he is an alcoholic or not, or there's no recovery. So this is where I learned about my family system of origin I came from. And this is then where I go, well, no wonder I have these codependency traits. Well, duh. So it was exciting because then a way out was so simple to be able to decide how to get out. And I had the skills and tools when I came home to do that. It probably explained a lot, right? It probably explained a lot about yourself and the family. Once you understood that, oh, it's this. 
Yeah, I think I think the exciting part about this codependency, and, and we have to call it something. It sounds like a negative word, yeah. And yeah. people shy away from it because you you know they 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 think you're you know somebody's saying that they they have some you know strange illness that they personally don't have, right? Um, and it's not that. It is the ability to be able to go and discover self. That's codependency. You're entering into something where you get to recover and rediscover self. And when you come from a family of origin where you're, the roles in the family define you who you are and define what you like and you dislike and define that you're not allowed to laugh at something and they define that, you know, if you get angry, everybody will do what you want them to do. Well, to get your needs met, you may be an angry person as an adult. Like you really get to go backwards and take a look and and say what I like, what I dislike, and where I'm short, short on who I want to be the best person I'm capable of. Not my mom, not my dad, not making it up. You get to define that for yourself. I saw my whole family different. I loved my sister when I came out of there. I didn't when I went in and I loved her because I understood how she was affected growing up in that family. I loved my mother, not had her on a pedestal. I loved her and I could see why she was the way she was. That's hard to do, isn't it, with parents to realize they did the best they could with what they had? Um, Well, you know what? I think it's impossible unless you do the work, because if you don't understand and can't look back Um, And take that journey backwards, you know, and for me, I say everybody should do it because it's nothing new. You did come from there. We just spend our life covering it up and avoiding we came from there. But we've already experienced it. It can't harm us. We've already been through it. And when you do that, you understand how and who you have become. Well, then it's easier to accept and see how your other family members have become and you have so much empathy for them when you get done this work so much empathy and with that empathy comes love and respect for them and it becomes easier to engage and have a relationship with them other than that then we blame and fight and argue and dismiss people out of our lives and that's really sad for me yeah so you know that self-exploration you can't fix something unless you see where it's broke. I'm only capable of fixing other people because I see where they're broke. The problem is, is they don't see it, and so we end up in these dysfunctional codependent relationships. You were mentioning that you went into this program. Uh, Tell us a bit about what that was like. You mentioned that it was helpful to know that I'm going to a program for something that I was unsure about myself, and now I do. Yeah, I think um, it was a 12-step program, so people who maybe are not familiar with that, I mean, at the end, we can talk about 12-step programs um, for people, individuals who would like to explore this. But it was a 12-step program, so step one for codependence, even though I'm going to say again, I'm not really fond of the word, but I'm fond of this, the first part of step one. I'm powerless over other people, places, and things, and you got to be joking me. It took 
my whole 28 days to really get a handle on that. (laughs) (laughs) So this is where the work begins, you know, and, and how I got trapped in so much of that. So unfolding that, that 28 days is a constant group sessions. It's counseling one-on-one. It's exploring oneself. I mean, I went to that treatment facility when I was 32. Okay, so I won't tell you how old I am now, but I'm really old. (laughs) Uh, But I still remember uh, one of my counselors said to me, Dawn, you abuse yourself more now than your parents ever did. Wow. And that was huge for me. And it was huge because I am picking my jobs. I am picking my financial situation. I am picking my husband. I am picking my friends. And I seem to have a problem or dislike with all of them. <laughs> that, that I, <laughs> Once again, it's, it's their problem, not mine. That right. Kind of and I'm being affected by them. And so the volcano is still going to go off. As a kid growing up at home, I had no control. If I wanted to be fed and have a roof over my head, I learned skills and tools. I didn't say they were healthy in order to survive emotionally, spiritually, physically, and psychologically in that home. So now as an adult, I am an adult doing the same thing to me. I'm picking the same players the same mom, the same dad, and my bosses and friends and husband where I can still be that person, which was all broken up. So it's a, it's a long exploration um, to, to go, oh, to thy own self be true. Well, I didn't know who I was, so I can't be true to self. So I have to go and figure this <laughs> out. So... When we were talking on the phone, you you talked about your personal experience and you shared what it was like to go into a treatment center for codependency. At what point did your life shift where you realized, wow, I want to help other family members, other people regarding this? I think it shifted um, when I learned in treatment that my father was an alcoholic because he wasn't. He only drank on weekends, not during the week. So, so even from the word go, what we deem we lived with growing up in a home, we're not even clear about. We're not educated about, which sets us up for failure already. So if he's not an alcoholic because he only drinks on weekends, not out of a brown paper bag, drunk 24 hours a day, then his anger that he had all week is because us, me, my sister, my mother, whatever. So you make it up as a kid. You just try and figure out why. On the weekends, when he drank, he was laughing and happy. So I could already wait for the weekends to come for him to be laughing and happy because then the home was somewhat balanced. Now, how sad is it? You look forward, unfortunately, to the times that he was intoxicated. Totally. And during the week when he was angry, we look forward to the time he's at work because he's not at home. So we just... Like that, like this is not a good balanced family. So <laughs> when I learned that he was an alcoholic and you can have addiction just on weekends um, mm-hmm. and doing the work about self, it, it was this huge transformation for me that took a look at 
all families and all people who were suffering with anything. What within the psychological component is universal? Uh, we can focus on food addiction or substance use disorders, but I really feel that this topic appeals to many, many people and very, you know, generally. So how would you describe that in a broader sense? Um, I'm, I, in a broader sense and, and within asking about the broader sense, I am going to put absolutely anybody and everybody in this equation. Wow. Right. Everybody. Everybody. We're all we're all affected by codependence. We're all affected by, we're, or how would you describe that? We're, we're all affected by the need to take time out and escape. All of I us. I agree. Yes, that makes sense. Right, and so none of us are any different than each other. The difference comes in when it escalates to you having no control over that need to escape. And some of us can, you know, eat a half a tub of ice cream because we just need to soothe ourselves. We need time out. We need to relax. We need to do whatever. Some of us will go, I'm going to binge watch some TV series for the whole Saturday in my pajamas and nobody better call me my phone's off. They know that they need the break or else the volcano's going to erupt. And they take the time out to take care of self that way. When we don't have the skills and tools to do it on a regular basis, when we notice it's there, then we overuse it. Whether it be let's not eat, let's overeat, let's drink, let's drug, let's, let's be a workaholic. It, it, all we're, it's a form of constant escapism so we don't have to feel and we don't have to deal because we don't have the skills and tools to do that. And so for all of us, we need to be mindful. We can fall, <laughs> we can fall apart and end up being this volcano that erupts too. It's not special people and non-special people. Or I can, why can't you? We all can do this. We all have the ability. There's alcoholics out there that became alcoholics when they retired. Well, what is that? You know, you think you're okay with somebody because you're going to be 65 and 65 and next thing you know, they're drinking. Well, maybe they're workaholics. And that kept them not having to feel. That kept them allowed to be intellectual in their head. Nothing from the neck down. Don't recognize the turmoil, the volcano beneath the neck and they retire and so now they're not working so they drink well now we have an alcoholic by the time he's 75 well you know we're not special people (laughs) it's not rocket science it's just we're humans right it makes sense that yeah we're humans we um we don't like to be in our own skin when there's pain when the when there's rumblings of the volcano so maybe you know instead of it it being addiction, right? Someone's addicted to something. It's more of human behavior that we want to escape. We want to get out of that pain. Right. And I think nowadays with the technology, we definitely are setting a lot of us up to to acquire less skills and tools within self to recognize the mind-body connection 
and we have more resources with the internet, with entertainment, with, you know, staying busy with this society saying you need to work, you know, 55 hours a week. We, we are setting ourselves up already to, for all of us to have multiple forms of different areas we can escape to and it look normal. <laughs> and then we're depressed. Then we have anxiety. Then we have, you know, sleeping disorders. So, and then we go and treat that. And that is just a band-aid because underneath we lack the ability to be able to recognize what's going on with us and how to take care of ourselves. You, you mentioned um, that we are constantly, as you said, taking care of things with a Band-Aid. We are not looking at the problem. We, we keep on uh, addressing the symptoms of a problem. What do you think that problem is? I think, you know, I think the problem is um, that the, the, the lack of society as a whole reminding us and helping us to be able to recognize that we come first and everything else comes second. And, and, and within that, if we can recognize that, and we as a society as a whole have different, you know, um, TV programs, different um, uh, bosses that will react or respond to us and say, sure, take that extra day off. Um, we as a society as a whole um, um, have set ourselves up to not even know, no, that's the knowing, no that we are lacking our skills and tools. And when we know it, it's because a volcano has erupted and somebody in the family or yourself says that you need to get out there and and get yourself some help, get yourself some support, get yourself some therapy in order to um, get out there in society and continue the way you were. You were able to take all of this insight and personal experience and Later on, you start working in uh, treatment centers, rehabs. How did that come about? Well, through going through, um, you know, when I came out of treatment, um, going to 12-step codependency meetings, there was the vast majority, which was pretty sad, of people in those codependency meetings were recovering alcoholics and addicts who were continuing their journey of wellness, not just not use anymore. And so, you know, here came back the, um, the, the insight, the past experience for me being in treatment, learning my father was an alcoholic, to have multiple conversations and relationships with them. Um, and so from there, uh, I went, okay, well, maybe no weight, <laughs> weight loss anymore. Maybe I will move into the field in of addiction, substance abuse, and the effects on family, um, because that was something that I was well, well trained for <laughs> from my family of origin. <laughs> um, so yes, so then I went into there. Well, uh, as someone that has worked in addiction and a, and a recovering addict myself, there's a great, great need for people to get help regarding whether it's substance use disorder or food addiction, the family always sees that, why should I understand what's going on? Why should I understand codependency and enabling when that person, my father or so-and-so, has the problem? So you must have really seen 
a lot of what we're talking about here where, where people just kind of say, what's their problem, not mine. And, and that is the, the, the biggest challenge working with families. It's even working with the alcoholic or addict. I mean, they, they, their volcano erupts uh, before they get in a treatment center. You know, either they're going to get dismissed from work, their wife's going to leave, you know, they, 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 you know, been in jail three times, they, you know, whatever, right? There, there's some really severe um, motivation for them even to get into treatment, to even look at, and them personally to get an education to say, when they leave, I am an alcoholic or I am an addict, not because the wife is saying it or the boss or the, the, the friends, you know, personally, they can say that. But I, in my experience, I never saw a lot of individuals, male and female, go into treatment, you know, all excited going, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I'm so glad to be here. I'm an alcoholic <laughs> or addict. You know, I usually pushed in there. Yeah, usually pushed exactly. into treatment. Yeah. yeah. So if they're pushed in there, then obviously we got family, um, you know, employers, friends um, <clears throat> sitting at home waiting for them to finish. Uh, you know, obviously my mindset, understandably so, but I understand it's wrong, uh, understandably so would be, thank God for that, they're in there, they'll come out and... They know that they had the problem. All of this was their fault. And we'll just pick up from here. And, you know, they're going to be pretty, pretty, you know, much buying me flowers and taking me out for dinner when they realize all the damage they caused me. I mean, I I, I don't know how else anybody would be expected to see that. To me, it's a given. And the problem is for that is then we send recovering people home to those individuals without them being addressed or educated, not on the behavior, not on the stories of what they did and the blame, 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 because what they say is true. I mean, I can't argue they didn't do these things or say these things. It's true. What what we need to address is not that. What we need to address is alcoholism education. I don't know anybody who is an alcoholic addict on some level who does not become a liar, cheater, manipulator, and conner. Because if they're not, they shouldn't be in treatment. They don't have an addiction issue. So when you can educate family on the, this is the road. This is how they should have been. This is the result that we've all experienced on some level. Right. That is supposed to, you know, babies cry a lot. Dogs bark a lot. I mean, other than that, why would you have a baby or a dog? Like you just expect this. And when you can normalize it, normalize it. And then you can normalize the effects on family with them. Then there's a road to go forward on how do we pick up the pieces from the damage that's been done to both parties so that they can collectively together talk about it and move on and establish healthier relationships without that um i don't know most divorces end up in recovery not during the addiction so that says a lot well i i certainly experienced that when i was in my first year of recovery my marriage fell apart i i feel that 
you know, as much as we can define codependency, I, I believe my ex-wife was was codependent, meaning my behaviors were impacting on her. And she did try to work on it and understand it, but it was much, much easier to divorce. That happens a lot, unfortunately. Do you have some stories where you've seen where the the person with the addiction, their recovery is just as healthy as the family member? Um, hmm. I, I've seen a lot of stories and, and known for years a lot of individuals during their path of recovery. You know, go, you know, I went back to school and, and became, um, and got my certification in addiction. I didn't just go there. Right. So being sort of right. You, you got the education. Good for you. Totally. Um, and working with the family, I felt pretty inadequate in areas. Um, so I went back to school, uh, Toronto university to take family mediation so there, that will answer some of your questions. It, wow, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 is, it, is, it is a path. It's like if I went and took my car to get it fixed and they said, you know, you need new brakes, but I'll do the front left first. You know, if you come back in four weeks or five and, you know, you're near an accident, we bring it back and I'll do the right brake of your car. Right. And, you know, and then, you know, same thing in a year or six months. If you if you get in an accident, I'll fix the damage on your car and then I'll do the left rear brake. I mean, we don't treat anything in life in piecemeal, but this this is piecemeal. It's like the volcano going off and everybody gets displaced. Everybody has to evacuate homes and move for months and months, some of them years, like addiction doesn't happen in a month. I wish it did, but it, happened, it could take years before treatment comes. And and then what do we do? We say, okay, the volcano's done. You can go home. There is no home. The, the, the things need to be rebuilt. And people have to come together and help and support each other and and build a house here or a house there or you know, a doctor who can come in and take care of some people who are sick. Like, we don't do this with anything. But when it comes to recovery, whether it's mental illness, whether it's food, whether it's addiction, we go, okay, we're going to treat it. Thank God for that. And then we send them home to homeless environment. And it's just super, super sad because that alcoholic addict is starting. They're not recovered. They're just not drinking or using anymore. They have some skills and tools that allow them to stay, stay sober and clean. Family, friends have their, 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 their volcanoes are still erupting. (laughs) Well, when I, when I came back from treatment, uh, I I was kind of shocked at the amount of anger and resentment that my wife had. I mean, I guess part of me, as many people coming out of treatment, you figure there's going to be a a parade, right? There's going to be a party. Uh, oh, great. You know, you did all this work and you're sober, but I, I went home to a lot of anger. And rightfully so, you should have. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, they, they prepared me for that. But they, they didn't prepare, prepare her. Exactly. And they don't prepare the kids. And so that's a big thing that's missing in treatment centers, isn't it? Well, you know, in, in, in the treatment centers, you could... You could, you know, 
you know, you figure, you know, you go, any individual goes into a treatment center, they get some skills, tools, they, they, they get a, um, a support system going, um, right. People who, uh, who are also in, you know, recovery, they get, they get out to some meetings while they're in treatment. Um, they can call the center whenever they want, talk to a counselor. I mean, they are getting, as I did in my codependency treatment of 28 days, right. You got the same going for addiction, same thing. But you're going home to people and individuals where the family functions the same way. And you are the same person who's left this legacy behind. Nobody has come in and fixed any of this home that's been busted and burned to the ground. And so I myself personally understand how family can go. My good God, I begged, borrowed, cried, stole, manipulated, cheated, and conned myself at times in order to get him or her into treatment or get them to recognize they have a problem and the damage they're doing. And then he comes home happy. What the heck is that? Who are you (laughs) to come home happy? And not only are you happy, but you're more balanced and you're more at peace with yourself. You're not allowed to be. I will tell you when you're allowed to be. Not only that, you've got friends and you've got your meetings you're going to. And you're having a good time at the meetings. And I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. So you'll be punished for that on some level. So, yeah, that's family. You have your children at home. Those kids have saw their dad a certain way through his using. Right? There's the volcano. You got mom who's erupting because she's lost her marbles through all of years or, you know, it's not months, it's always years of this stuff. And you have the kids who are trying to react and respond somehow in usually very unhealthy manners to to still have a relationship with mom and be quiet and don't cause any problems and don't ask for too much. And dad, who's never around, always at work and the bars drinking. I mean, the, you don't even have any real, real children. You have dry drunks you're going home to who are still acting, behaving as if the addiction's there. Reacting to the things that are changed, but they're still reacting to to the old behavior. Well, that's who they've become, right? I mean, how how there's there, 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 there's not a penny that dropped that says, oh, now we can get back to normal. Now we can just be happy together. And my dad's my dad and my mom's just going to be who she used to be. I mean... There is no, there is no transformation that takes place to have people walk that road to get there. It's just an expectation that that you go home, you do you to do things, and me, I just sit here, get more annoyed and angry because you're happy all well together. You made me suffer all these years, um, and so and I'm still the same. You're trying to make a difference. Kids aren't happy with mom. They're still not happy with you because you're irritating mom even more now than she was before. I mean, it just the 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 dynamics the dynamics never get better. They get worse. So, you know, I don't understand really, honestly, how um, at, at, you know if one's in treatment, all should be in treatment to look at the wreckage. And the wreckage 
comes out and affects everybody and there's different types and and different amounts of damage that's been done but at the end of the day we are all hurt and we're all angry and we all all want some help and support so families should definitely be allowed to get an education an education not your codependent or not your you know, you need to go to Al-Anon because, you know, now you're the wife of somebody who's in recovery. You need to understand that. I don't know what this is, right? I just know that until all get treated, then there is no recovery. And this must have been a realization that something's lacking when you're working in the rehabs because you developed the program, right? You develop like a roadmap. So, uh, in the family program, you're working with a family member, the wife or husband or uh, uh, maybe mom and dad, and you show them, okay, this is what happens with the addict. This is the map and what happens when someone's codependent. The upside is, is that the other part of this map that you showed me is all of these good things that can happen. But a realization that you have to get to a decision point. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit more on on the maps and uh, how the listeners might benefit from understanding that program? Yeah, I mean, I really struggled, which I'm sure, you know, a lot of individuals, therapists, right, psychologists, you know, I mean, struggle with with how to how to be able to move the focus to the effects, not who created it, but just the effects. And and then be able to keep the focus there so that individuals can identify how they were affected for themselves because everybody's affected differently. So no blame game, you know, where am I at? Where did I start, right? So in terms of the alcoholic, their map, you know, they start off not being alcoholics or addicts, you know, whatever age they started, 25, 18, whatever. But, but, but they start as, as not having any substance abuse issue. And the map shows really clearly, as like I had mentioned earlier, when you start inducing and taking in more of one thing or multiple things to subside and stuff feelings, feelings, because you don't know how to cope with them, whether you're overeating, whether you're drinking, whether you're, you know, doing drugs, whatever, right? When you start overusing to escape, then that map shows how that progression down starts to take place. And you can clearly kind of identify, maybe alcoholic addict, where they are, right? Where they used to be, right? And so they can use that map to identify how they ended up at the bottom. And that map shows the bottom. A, they enter into treatment, they start going to AA meetings on their own, they get themselves a sponsor, whatever it may be, but they identify that they cannot proceed and function like this anymore. They, they're not happy with self anymore, right? And then you can see with the recovery, with skills, with tools that they move back up the map and end up to the top where they used to be before they started in the addiction. Well, family doesn't stay 
healthy and happy um, and engaging. Neither. So they're at the top of the map. They used to. And it shows clearly how they move down, how they start to to fall apart and, and what are the signs and symptoms of that that they can recognize before they hit the bottom. Well, the bottom there is not, well, my alcoholic addict goes into treatment and gets well, and then I'll just skip on up to the top again. That's just not, not <laughs> going to happen because I'll guarantee he's never going to do it or say it right anyways. So it is the process of them to do that and heal themselves themselves. So they need the skills and tools and the resources to be able to get themselves back up to the top of that. And interestingly, those maps, for me, which was so great and awesome, also was that a family member, even if it's your 18-year-old or your 17-year-old daughter or son or your parents or your wife, a friend can actually look at the map with you, yours and theirs. The words are all the same on it. They don't change. Therefore, you're both talking about something that is even Stephen between the two of you, no blame, that you can actually talk about where each one of you may be today on that map. And so the healing and relationships can start taking place. And, and the conversation around maybe what you need, need today. I need you. I'm feeling a little down. You know, I'm overwhelmed with work or whatever. And I can see on my map, I'm not in a good place neither. Well, right? What, what, what is it that with the skills and tools we're learning or even be able to, you know, resource ourselves, get on your phone, right? Take a look to help us to get through the day and be mindful and respectful of each other. And, and so it opens up conversations that says we're allowed to be stuck. We're allowed to have bad days. We're both on this journey together. We will not always be at the same point at the same time. And how, how do we help each other understand where we're both at and, and help to support each other and be able to speak what we need in order to have that. This has not been going on for years in this family. So in terms of healing and going home, relationships start to bond in a totally different way, not still trying to hook it up to the same horse and buggy that it used to be. Um, so those maps to me are, are, are part of the thing that says treatment, the person who has an illness and treatment for the people who've been affected by the illness and two people that then can be able to come together and recognize we're both doing the same job, going in the same direction and trying to get ourselves the same wellness back and probably even better than what you ever had going forward. And we don't have that process available to us. I wish I had these maps. I'm looking at them uh, right now. Later on in the episode, we'll let the listeners know how to how to access them. Yes. But reading this, um, I noticed, as you said, there's very, very similar feelings and emotions and path that both take. Someone that has the problem, someone that is impacted by the problem. The sad thing is, I'm reading here, is that on both fronts, a lot of shame, guilt, and fear, and loss of self-esteem. Right. And maybe the family member 
may not understand that, may not realize that their anger is going is being directed towards someone that is already processing their guilt and shame. Everyone in the family has these emotions. And the, the upside is that later on, as I see here, that you learn ways to improve your self-esteem and move on. Why are these things similar? Why is it that you would, you would assume that the, the shame, guilt, and fear would be on the addict side and not on the codependent side? Why are things so similar? Every situation has a reaction to it. And so if we, which I go back to this education about addiction, not the people, right? But the education about addiction, you know, if dad is, let's, these are just examples, right? Let's say it's um, dad who is spending a lot of money and, um, um, and drinking around the clock and buying everybody drinks, whatever, Financially, just an example, in the home, that money has to be compensated or or got from somewhere. So, you know, mom starts doing things like, you know, maybe, you know, uh, buying less clothing for the kids or saying that they can't have a certain toy or whatever, trying to compensate for the financial issues that are being created because the alcoholic addict is spending too much money. Then comes the piece of, you can't just say to your kids, this is how it starts off. There's always a pattern. Everybody starts somewhere. We just don't all end up exploding, right? <laughs> it starts somehow. So, you know, mom may say, you know, well, this th- th- this week we really don't have the money. And so, you know, I, I know that I said you could have that toy, but, may- you know, maybe next week. Well, she becomes, you can see the trend. She starts to become a liar. We start off lying to compensate and we start off you know, hiding things. We hide car keys. We, we, we dump all the alcohol out. This is the, the behavior same. that the alcoholic does. Exactly. It's the exact same behavior. Totally. Therefore, the, the impact is the same, I guess. Right. So we all become liar, cheaters, and conners, you know. A mother who says to their daughter, you know, how come, you know, he's not here this year, you know, at Christmas time. And, you know, she says, well, he's not really feeling well. Um, you know, he's in bed. Meanwhile, he's home drunk. And, you know, there's no possible way she wanted him to go there. So now she has shame that he's not there. And she's also lying about why he's not there. So everybody becomes liar, cheaters, conners, and manipulators. And these kids in the family are being taught how to, to lie, cheat, con, and manipulate. And how to start to believe stories and situations that aren't true. Um, and things about their parents that aren't true, it's been cause and effect, cause of addiction, effect behavior, not my dad's a bad guy or my mother's just mean and nasty. So, it, 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 I mean, it is, we all become the same, you know, you've you, you got you to respond. That's how you start. And then you start reacting, trying to control somebody's addiction. Um, and then you get angry and, you, and then you start to, you know, blame. And uh, it, it is it is it is the most abusive psychological mental process that I think is out there. You mentioned um, children. And in my experience, I know that these family programs that are made available uh, there isn't, isn't really anything for the kids, and it's the kids that are impacted. Because I was a kid of an alcoholic. You were describing how you grew up. You were a kid of an alcoholic. 
And there wasn't any help for me when I was young. And I realized working with family members myself that there's these young kids at home that aren't old enough to, to come into the program and be educated, but these are the people that are going to perpetuate the behavior that they learn from their parents. And then you have this generation after generation after generation. Do you see it that the same way that we're kind of missing the boat there regarding kids because chances are they'll grow up and marry an alcoholic or marry someone that has addiction? Well, you know, again, here comes my overwhelming sadness, sadness, like you said, you know, like, you know, I didn't have anybody coming to my rescue, you know, with school knowing what was going on in my home. I didn't have my dad's mother, which was my grandmother, for example, going into the home saying, you know, this has to stop. Nobody was saying anything about anything. So, so do I believe my own eyes? No. Do I believe that I should be upset or hurt over name calling, you know, from my dad or my mother ignoring everything and not saying anything because she doesn't want to get more upset or she doesn't want to get the verbal abuse from him, right? So, you know, you, you, you leave the home not believing self and then you go out and you get married and have kids. So when it comes to the kids and families, um, if, if the kids are really, really young, then I hold the parents, both of them, whether they stay married or not, 100% responsible to, for the children's well-being, which I know all parents love their kids beyond anything, to do the work of understanding and getting an education on addiction, not the blaming or not whose fault it is, or I'll geographically, you know, find a cure by divorcing. The damage has been done. And in, until you've done personal work to see how you were affected, the person you became, then you will pass that and continue that on with your kids, even if you divorce the individual. So I don't believe kids need to be, any child needs to be in a program or be treated with anything. I do believe that it's the parent's responsibility to change the dynamics in the home and start to recognize how healthy parents need to operate. And that's when you start being able to now pass, pass your recovery, your recovery onto the kids. But without any of this, that'll never happen. Some kids at 18, 14, 15 would like to go and it's good for them, and they need a support network, I think that there should be programs out there. But they go off to these support networks, and mom's not doing the work, and dad's work ends at the fact of, I'm sober, I'm not drinking, so I'm good to go. Uh, these kids are just so confused, going off somewhere, hearing stuff that they identify with, and going home to see none of this is playing out or encouraged or being spoken about or these changes aren't being made in my family system. That's more damaging than not. Recovery is an ongoing journey. I mean, if I have allergies, I can take all the allergy pills I want. <laughs> but so that's temporary. 
But as soon as I don't take them, I'm going to be sneezing and I got my allergy back. You know, once we've been damaged by these kinds of things, these kinds of events, mental illness in the family, addiction in the family, we are all subject to stumble again, to relapse, even if it's for an afternoon or, you know, with your boss. We're all, all going to stumble again. It is not ever cured. It is only controlled and managed by your own hand. So it's not, it's not ever going to be 100%. You have to do it yourself. So kids, now I feel really bad for them because I have to depend on the parents to make that difference. Not treatment centers, not programs. That's the icing on the cake kind of. Um, but, you know, it, it, everything, like they say, starts at home. So, yeah, it, it is not a, a, a pleasant um, um, thought for me because it is damaging. It's damaging. Parents, wives can go off to, to, to treatment, which I saw a lot in my career. I saw a lot personally in my life. Um, people who, um, individuals who have gone off to therapy to, because they're going to explode. They're at the bottom of their graph. They're, they, they just have no ways or means of, of, of being able to cope anymore. Um, they're taking more time off work and taking stress leave more than their alcoholic or addict. They take more time off work. And then we have, um, you know, Things like the cooperators or manual life or whoever is their underwriter at work, you know, paying for this short-term disability. Nobody even questions why. And if they do, it's because of what's going on at home, which they'll never say because there's shame around that. So we're, we're always dealing with secrets and, and never freely being able to talk about something and explore something. So, you know, I'm on stress leave from work. It's because of my family situation at home. Um, and so I get myself a therapist and the her therapist hears the behavior. They hear about what's taking place in my home and they themselves are overwhelmed. They themselves, you know, you know, maybe suggest or think or try to guide a way of maybe you need to leave that marriage or you need to leave that relationship because they too are not able or educated in hearing the warning signs and seeing the 50 red flags I see within three sentences, somebody says, that says, oh my God, there is so much hope. There is so much you can do with this. There is so much value in your life. And, and let me help you get there. And if the marriage needs to end, don't end it until such time as the work gets done. If you need to take a break and maybe rent an apartment for three months because it's just too hard for two people under one roof, how can you do that with dad here and mom there? Both of them doing the work. They know what they need to do. They get together. They have dates again. They start to learn healthy behaviors and communication with each other. I like I, I it is to me so unnecessary. If they do decide that they don't want to be together, this isn't it. They'll do it kindly, respectfully, and again, be able to be there for their kids and support their kids through that. They haven't even supported their kids through 
you know, the volcanoes that have happened in their home and, 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 and they're all misplaced, right? And now we're going to do this. Um, and now kids suffer from that. Well, now somebody's got to blame somebody for that. Well, of course, it's all the alcoholics' fault. You split up the family. Look at this. Like, and it, you know, and so the wheel goes around and round and round. In the year 2023, and we still treat it the same way. It's mind boggling. It is mind boggling. What, what occurs to me is that, and I've seen that in um, my, my ex wife, unfortunately, is that. I'm sure it made sense to her to ask me to leave uh, the house. I was about a year sober. But I believe this happens to many people where if they just do the quick divorce thing and, okay, as long as I'm divorcing the guy and the guy isn't around or the woman isn't around, that's the alcoholic, I'm good to go, as you said earlier. The unfortunate thing, and I saw it in my, my ex-wife, is that her unhappiness continued. She never looked like a happy person. And I felt very bad about that because I, I felt partially responsible. But on the other hand, there was the opportunity to, as exactly what you just said, work on the family for the benefit of the family, for the benefit of the kids as well. And I, I saw her continue on. And have you seen that a lot where if someone just quickly divorces the person that has the problem, that as they say, wherever you go, there you are. Well, and I, you know, I like I said, you know, the, 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 the first part of step one for codependency is I'm powerless over other people, places, and things. And, you know, when you start recognizing, you know, I mean, there is some, there's some form of, of illusion that all family, friends all get when it comes to dealing with anybody that has mental illness, I'm just going to top that as mental illness, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, whatever, right? And addiction, right? There is, it starts off as an illusion for people. And the illusion is, is that I had this awesome conversation with my whoever with mental illness or addiction. And, you know, they really felt bad and they understood and they got it. Right. And the months go by or whatever, you know, and then you go, you know, I, I, I got to have another conversation again with them. And uh, this time uh, there's going to be some verbal consequences I'm going to throw out, you know, OCD. I'm not going to, you know, uh, you know, make your bed and do your laundry and clean your room anymore. You're capable of doing that yourself. Well, you know, you've just thrown a wrench into the family system doing that. Or the wife who says, you know what, uh, I'm not going to make excuses for you anymore. Uh, I'm going to tell the kids and everybody in your family that you are an alcoholic and these are the things you're doing to us. Oh, okay. So everybody kind of goes, well, I guess I better make a few changes. And they do. And it goes on for months and months more. So when, so it's a slow process of this. I am given the illusion that I have control and power because that person with the underlying, you know, mental health condition or the alcoholic or addict, right? When this starts playing out, understand the addiction. When it plays out, I have the illusion, you give it to me, right? That I have some power and control over this and you will, you will conform because you do. It just doesn't last. So as you increase your substance and as somebody 
who has mental illness still isn't getting well, right? I have to come up with more skills and tools to get a handle and control. So, you know, I micromanage, I'm a controller, I'm a yeller, I'm a screamer, or maybe I do the opposite and I just poor me, poor me, and I'm having pity parties, you know, so now the time comes and you, you know, are in recovery, went to treatment, come out, you know, the, let's say the son or daughter or husband who has obsessive compulsive disorders on some kind of, you know, serotonin inhibitor uptake. And so they're, they're, they're doing so much better. What do you want me to do now? Like, I, I have no, I have no idea how to have a relationship with you. I only know how to have one with you the way you were. I have no idea of, of, of even my role anymore with you, let alone the kids or in the family, because you've just taken it all away from me. And so, and then even at that, I'm not too pleased because you're happy and I don't have a place in this family and my roles have been taken away. So I'm even more upset at you. And, and, you know, the kids are having fun with you. Well, they're not allowed to. I haven't had fun with my kids through all of this because I have been busy trying to control and be on top of and do what I do best to try and make you well. So, you know, yes, I leave. I say, this is it. Nine times out of ten, I say, this is it. I'm leaving because... I'm not required anymore. These are my skills and tools I now have. I am, I am top-notch CEO of this company and nobody is playing the same role in game anymore. So I have to leave. You may, you may view your wife as being unhappy and sad. That's only because you got happy. That you recognize that she's not happy and sad, but you didn't recognize it when, when you were using. Well, she doesn't recognize she's not happy and that she, you know, is sad. or She doesn't recognize that. She's been like this for a long time. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but based on patterns of addiction and effects on people, they usually find somebody else. They definitely probably will not be alcoholics, although a lot of times, five times married, all alcoholics they marry. Um, but they will lack some kind of ability to be emotionally available. Because people who have mental illness, I don't care what label, but we'll go with that, do not have the ability to be emotionally available. And people who are alcoholics and addicts do not have the ability to be emotionally available. And the family members, wives, kids, or whatever, end up not having the ability to be emotionally available themselves. So they don't marry another alcoholic, but they marry somebody else who's cut off from the neck up. And there. And they get to do the same thing and behave and act and whatever because they too are not emotionally available. So there. So now we got two unhappy people who think they're really happy and everybody else in the world has a problem but us two. It's just bizarre. Uh, to go back to something you said, I really related to it, is that the, for lack of a word, codependent, but the wife or, or husband no longer have a role. I, I saw that in my marriage too. I, I kind of felt that 
she had a role in trying to fix me and trying to get me into treatment. And when I came back home, her role changed, her job changed. Do you see that as not addressing the enabling problem? Because if, if I came home and enabling continued, then wouldn't she feel that she has a role? But if someone is coming back from treatment, that role is no longer there. Do you believe that's an, the enabling role? Yeah, it's another name, right? I mean, it's just, an, you know, the codependent enabling, it, but it is the role that's important, the behavior, right? And yes, right. absolutely, that is, that is the behavior that you're going to see, right? The behavior does not change. It is, I'll follow him to work to make sure he's going there. It is, well, thank God he's running to the washroom because I think I'll take a sip of his drink and make sure there's no alcohol in it. Uh, you know, I mean, that that chronic policing and monitoring doesn't end, right? The, well, you haven't been to a meeting for two nights. That's why you are the way you are. You should get to a meeting. I mean, it, it doesn't end because nobody told them it needed to end. I, you know, if you just, if you just think about what we're talking about here and, you know, when we say, you know, the role, for example, that she played in, you know, maybe helping, supporting, you know, whatever into getting into treatment, right? Your role at that, before that time was, you know, there's nothing to see here. It's you're the problem. I don't have a problem, right? I don't, I, I, I drink responsibly, you know, your denial, right? And so the gig becomes I need to point out to you that you do have a problem and try and break your denial. In doing so, I have to become just like you, obviously, in order to understand and get to you on some level to get you into treatment. There. So now I'm a pro. On that map, with all the behaviors that my alcoholic addict has or my person with mental illness has, I'm a pro. And then you come out of treatment, and now I'm supposed to do what? I mean, my role is still the babysitting role, and you're the kid. And and nobody told me I didn't have to do it anymore. Nobody explained to me that I can trust this process, and nobody explained to me on what new skills and tools for me to have. Nobody even helped me to understand how I could even speak to you about that when you do get home. So... It, it, is, it is a severe, slow process where everybody becomes the same. She's an enabler. She'll always be an enabler. She will leave you and find somebody else that she can enable and take control over. I mean, she, she, she has a PhD in this. She, 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 there's nobody that can come close to her that can do this kind of stuff and not crack and fall apart. So if I have a PhD in something, I am not going to flip burgers at McDonald's. I am going to go out and get the job that I have a PhD in because I'm really good at it. So we don't just stop. And it's, it's unbelievable for me to even think that we can damage people and we'll just arrive back at home. And why are they behaving like this anymore? But, but this is how we treat it as a society. We treat it like this is an expectation and and it's unrealistic and I think it's pretty abusive um, that that this is still how we we treat 
either mental illness or substance abuse like this. When I when I talked to you on the on the phone, I really felt your passion. Really felt how strongly you felt, and also I felt your sadness regarding people that don't get the education when they're in these roles, when they're they're in these families. If we had a crystal ball and a magic wand, if you had a program, if somebody gave you endless amount of money, money's not a problem, a program for family members and children, what would that look like? For everybody, everybody in society, period, everybody, that I think it should be a program that all people, without without waiting for the volcano to erupt at all, but for all people to have the availability to go and do some past family of origin looking at and then carry on with their lives. So whether you're 20, whether you're 25, whether it's before you decide to have your own kids, it should just be something that's out there on banners, flags, you know, in your mailbox, just just a normal general. Like, you know, we all do our taxes. It's just, that's what we, we just do it. We don't, you know, like it's just is what it is. It should just be a normal process for all of us to have the availability to be able to go into family of origin, um, microscopic looking at, so I can identify and define who I am, who I am now, so I can see any little glitches and know how to put them right or put them in order to carry on with my life. Other than that, I don't care. I'm not the alcoholic addict, but I tell you, I can make the biggest mess of my life and I'm not even using. Like, that doesn't make sense. At least if you're an alcoholic addict, you can say, well, I <laughs> I was in a blackout or I was so drunk or I whatever. Therefore, that's why I behave that way. I have nothing to... <laughs> I have nothing to blame my unhappiness or or my anxiety or my stresses on. But so so this should be available to everybody. Other than that, I'm going to have to go and find somebody where they are emotionally unavailable, so that I can I can make sense of this for myself, right? That that where I can actually play these roles out, which nobody likes to do. So I would like to see, you know, weekend workshops, uh, online workshops. You sign up for a course and, you know, and do some work on family of origin. Whether you come from a home where dad was, you know, an angry person, whether you come from a home where one of your parents were hypochondriacs, whether you, you know, it doesn't matter. You, you came from a home where, where you had a sibling who was disabled, um, maybe some of your needs weren't met through that. We all deserve an opportunity to see where where we have some cuts and 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 where that healing needs to take place. That that's I mean, we're human beings. This is it. it should just be. It should be an absolute <laughs> should just be an absolute, but we can meditate and we can do yoga and we can take medication and we can go to therapy and, and we can go on diets and well, we, you know, we can do all these things, but that does not fix. It covers up. It gets you down the road a little further, 
but it, it, it does not fix what needed to be nurtured and looked at and healed to start with. So we're all fractured, right? And it doesn't have to be in the form of addiction. Addicts are super, 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 and I'm saying this very lightly, okay? Super, super lucky that sooner or later, hopefully, they get themselves help and in treatment so that they can have a better quality of life. Those of us who do not have mental illness or do not have addiction, man, oh man, oh man, oh man, we are severely suffering long, long after, um, until the day we die, um, than these other individuals. And um, like you say, and what is there for us? Nothing. Family of origin. Um, that really makes a lot of sense to me. I'm looking at it from two lenses, right? Personal lens of growing up in an alcoholic family, being the alcoholic in the family, working with alcoholics is that uh, this emotional pain very often comes from experiences with your family of origin. Do you think that that emotional pain when we're younger in our family of origin, that that emotional pain becomes the volcano that you talked about at the beginning? I think, I, I think it, is, um, it is the foundation that has been built, absolutely, for the volcano to develop, right? I mean, you know, we leave our homes and grow up with our parents giving us our foundation. Our foundation is, is who we are, right? Is our, our purest selves that needs to be nurtured. And when that's fractured and when we've been damaged, right? And sometimes damaged, not even knowing the parent doesn't even know that they're doing this. But kids always let you know that you are. And, and in these families of origin, you learn very quickly not to let anybody know that you're unhappy or you're sad or, you know, you, you don't like something, right? Like, so, so that there's the, the, the foundation that's cracked already. So, yes, you grow up, you leave, and you have a severely damaged foundation, and you go out there, and it's your job now to suit up and show up and handle life crisis, responsibilities, do whatever, and, and you're building a house of cards on a cracked foundation. This isn't my dad's fault. This isn't my mother's fault. This is, this, this is nobody's fault. You know, like, like it is what it is. And if I want to blame them for the rest of my life, I can. And I will die with that cracked foundation and never give myself an opportunity to be who I truly am and be happy within self. That, again, goes back to my therapist saying in treatment, Don, you abuse yourself more now than family ever did. I'm sure listeners the ones that really relate to this are asking the question, and, and briefly, as we wind down, maybe you can answer the question. I'm pretty sure that I have codependency. I'm pretty sure that what, what they're talking about, I've experienced. But what do I do? What is the first step towards a journey of recovery if someone feels that they're codependent? Well, I mean, I think 
if somebody feels that there are that they're they're codependent, I've never in my life met somebody who thinks that they are, <laughs> including myself. That crossed my mind too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Right? It's like asking an alcoholic who's still drinking. You know, well, you know, what do you think? Do you think you're an alcoholic? Oh my God! I mean, they're they're in denial. Of course, they're not. So I'm not I'm not fond of the if they think they are because I. I you know, I, I think people deserve a little bit more um, respect to be able to explore themselves, right? And so if, you know, if the best, the actual best information and discovery that I have found for somebody to be able to take a look to even question that, okay, is on the coda c-o-d-a dot org website they have the best outline that i've ever seen that i've ever stumbled across um so and they go through categories the denial category and there's a whole list of what that may look like they go through low self-esteem and all the categories as to what that may look like they go through compliance patterns I mean, we all become compliant through all of this. What does that look like? How would you identify yourself with that? Control patterns. You know, I don't have a control issue. He makes me like this. But if he didn't do that, I wouldn't control anymore, you know? So what what is that? I mean, we don't know. We guess. Um, And they also have one on avoidance. How do you know that you're avoiding? So it's the best full scope codependency category that I've I've stumbled across and I don't think anybody could go through that and not come out saying well I tick boxes off in all those different categories because we're going to it goes back to okay am I erupting a little right now I'll have some ice cream or watch, you know, a series all day in the afternoon in my pajamas and turn my phone off, right? You you know how to get that back under control to take care of self. But if you're on the bottom of the map, right, like the maps you have there, if you're on the bottom, you'll just be blown away by this. And I hope, I hope, be able to say to yourself, oh my God, I'm normal. I should be like this based on, what I've experienced. I should have gotten a DUI because I was drinking. I should have, you know, gotten fired from my job because I, you know, called my boss some names. I mean, it becomes almost laughable. Of course, you, of course you should have. But but going forward becomes, but I know what not to do for the not to take place anymore. So that website is awesome. And you know, you can also Google some codependency 12-step meetings that may be in your area. If you travel, they're all over the world, um, just like AA. Um, so there's a lot of great resources, but that's the best categorized outline that I've I've ever come across. So that's coda.org? Yes. Coda.org. What about books? What kind of ebooks that you would recommend getting on Amazon that would help someone that relates to this conversation today? 
I wouldn't recommend any. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I'm just kind of being mindful of if they would like to go, let's say, I'm just saying, on that website and take a look at all those different categories, they intuitively will be able to go and pick a book that applies to them for where they have the most issues out of all those categories. It's like saying to an alcoholic, read the big book there. <laughs> okay. You, Very true. You know, so, so this is not a self help. I mean, I can only self help myself if I know what it is I'm trying to fix. And if I don't know what I'm trying to fix, then I'm just doing a whole lot of reading and becoming, I'm going to, I just, it just bothers me so much. Just becoming very educated from the neck up. And I have nothing happening from the neck down. So I can't tell you who I am. I can't tell you about my character defects. I can't tell you about the ones I've overcome. I can't tell you about the ones I'm working on. I can't tell you about the ones I'm trying to avoid that I can see coming. It, it There is no way to intervene with anything unless you know what needs to be looked at. And that is a personal job for somebody to do because we all are affected differently we all got affected from our family of origin differently and so i need to explore and be excited about where it is my foundation is not a hundred percent and then i intuitively can go on the website i go in a bookstore and i go well that's for me i've been able to go into bookstores and only read one chapter out of the whole book i won't even buy it because it's only the one chapter i need you know, it's like a grocery list. You don't just willy-nilly go into the grocery store and go, I don't know, I think I'll walk up and down the aisles and just toss in my cart whatever, I don't know, I think maybe I need at home. I mean, we we know what we need. We go in with the grocery list, right? We have to feed ourselves. We have to feed ourselves emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, physically. And if I don't know what that is, so that's why I'm hesitant to, you know say anything about referrals for books i will you know the body keep score that that is just awesome for anybody and to once read. again the the author of the body keep score the author of the body keep store is um do you want me to spell it just so people sure yeah yeah b-e-s-s-e-l capital v-a-n and then capital d-e-r and his last name is K-O-L-K. And he's a medical doctor. When it comes to resources, your maps, right? So you have, you developed a map for a person that is, uh, that is struggling with an issue. And then there's a recovery map, a road map for the family member. Are you okay if we um, offer those oh, as a resource to the listeners? Yes. And I, would, and I would just like to see when, you know, listeners look at, the maps, if you put different titles kind of on them, right? If you put um, mental health, anxiety, right. you know, um, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, whatever on the map, we will go down as a family member that same road. And and not only we go down the road the same, right, as your person who has the mental illness because they're on the other map going down to the bottom, right? We all need to go back up the same. If I only go up and the other person doesn't, I am still making healthy choices and decisions for myself. And I am getting more comfortable and more healing 
myself from what was done, not by the person, but by the illness. There's a big difference, right? I mean, you didn't get up in the morning and say, gee, over coffee, how can I really mess my wife up? You know, let's come up with a plan, you know, and people with mental illness don't do that, right? It's not personal. It is a disease. It is an illness. So the map for any, um, I'm just saying, any kind of issue that is causing a volcano to erupt in somebody's life can be addressed on either one of those, not just, you know, alcoholism or drug addiction. The maps that Don has discussed in this episode are available to listeners. You can go to mb-matters.com to contact us and we'll, uh, we'll send you the maps by email. Don, thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, it really is an odd word, codependency. Enabling is another odd word. And I'm glad that you came on the show to discuss this. And I believe that we have a little bit better understanding without attaching ourselves to to those labels. So we really appreciate the time that you set aside today. Excellent. Thank you very much for engaging in the conversation and the topic, just because I, I, the more people can hear about it, the more normal it becomes rather than it being stigma and shame. Um, and I, and, and that moves us all towards some form of wellness and, uh, you know, and having some kind of excitement about discovering self. What a great last message. Thanks again. Thank you. I am so grateful that Dawn was willing to come in and share her personal story. Very brave and very courageous of her to do that. And I got to say grateful that someone has explained codependency. It's not really a thing. I don't think it's a mental health issue. And I love the way that she explained it. I love her metaphor about a volcano. And uh, did you relate to that? I, I'm I'm sure a lot of people did. I, I certainly did. I think that I have a volcano. And looking back when I had addiction, my ex-wife surely had <laughs> a volcano. But I understand her a little bit more now. And so far, my second wife hasn't erupted yet. So that's a good thing, right? So thanks for tuning in for Don's personal story. And it looks like we'll have more of these stories coming up. Like an interview I'll have with a gentleman from Alabama. He said he wants to come on the podcast and talk about his two tours of Vietnam and the Tet Offensive, too. Wow. I'm looking forward to that, and I'm sure you will, too. We've had a lot of people actually uh, contact us uh, recently to be a guest on the show. So stay tuned. A lot of good episodes coming up. I hope you're downloading our episodes to start a queue and to get notifications of new ones. If you found this episode interesting and helpful, please give us five stars or a review on the platform that you're using. Mind Body Matters is a grape media podcast, and I hope to have Rob back soon. Rob, if you're listening to this episode, be sure to be kind to yourself, and as you say, be well. Thanks for listening. And if there's a topic that you'd like to hear about, drop us a line at mb-matters.com. Be sure to like and follow us on all our socials. And if you like what you hear, hit subscribe or follow and share with your friends 